Amen. Our scripture rest reference today is Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to read Genesis 1, 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. Let us stand for the reading of the word of God. Genesis, I, I may add some words. I don't normally do that. But my translation, which is the New American Standard Version, has left out some of the words in Genesis 1. So let us hear the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters. And every living creature that moves. With which the waters swarmed after their kind. And every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas 
and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the earth after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed it shall be for food for you. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. And by the seventh day God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. You may be seated. If you were here last week, you, you'll remember in our introduction to the whole book of Genesis and to the theme of the book of Genesis, uh, you, you'll remember us tell, me telling you that Genesis is a history book, it's not a book of poetry. It's not a mythology. It's historical narrative. Today, people who doubt the infallibility of Scripture don't want it to be that. They prefer to talk of it as uh, poetry so they can bring in all of their figures of speech, all their metaphors, and they don't have to take these words as if they were reading history. But we said there's a very good reason to believe that the book of Genesis was written. It was historical narrative. It's a history book. It tells you about what happened, who lived, and what happened on earth from the first day of creation to the days of Joseph and his brothers. That includes Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the first thing is that the Old Testament and the New Testament both refer to events and persons in Genesis, particularly in the first chapter of Genesis, that they presuppose really happened or really lived. They talk about Adam. Jesus makes his point about marriage between one man and one, one woman uh, on Adam's uh, 
illustration in Adam in the beginning of time. So if Genesis is not a history book that you read as you would read historical narrative, Jesus was wrong, the Old Testament was wrong, and the New Testament is wrong, and if they're wrong on that, how can you believe what they say about anything else? Um, the first chapter of Genesis, they like to call a poem, but it has none of the earmarks of Hebrew poetry. Flip over to Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of those prophets, and you'll see what a poetry looks like, what poems look like. Most of those prophetic books were, were written as poems, and they look like poems even to an English reader. English translation looks like poem, but when you come to the book of Genesis, that no more looks like a poem than a man in the moon. And you know why it doesn't look like a poem? Because it's not a poem. It has none of the earmarks of Hebrew poetry and all of the earmarks of historical narrative. Now let me, go, let me give you another reason why you can be sure this is history. I pointed out a while ago that some... English translations uh, leave out a word that occurs several times in this passage of Scripture, allegedly to make it more readable in English. But when you take out this three-letter word, which occurs all kinds of times, then you remove your most important internal argument for this being a chronology of history. And that little three-letter word is W-A-W. Or, if you learned Hebrew from a German, W, I mean V-A-V. You pronounce it either Vav or Wow. I was taught by an English speaker, so I pronounce it Wow. Wow, W-A-W, is the Hebrew word for and. And they have a literary device called the wow consecutive where they begin sentences with the word and that if you did that in a term paper, you would have points taken off from your grade for using the word and so often. But in Hebrew, it's a very important literary device because if you see a whole series of ands, that denotes chronology. That denotes this is chronological history. God did this and, then he did that and, then this and, next that. So the word and at the beginning of these verses in the first chapter of Genesis is one of the basic arguments for believing this is a chronology of how God created the world. Just look at all the ands again. Underline them. Verse 2, and the earth was... Uh, verse 3, then, that may even be an and. Verse 4, and. Verse 5, and. Verse 6 may be an and. Verse 7, and. Verse 8, and. Verse 10, and. Verse on down through there. Because that is the, he the way Moses, as a Hebrew, used the word and to show you this is a historical chronology. Take the and out. It's a nice poem. Leave the and in, you have history. So, 
let's look at this chapter as far as we can get. There's so much in it. We'll not get far, I'm sure. Before the beginning of the universe, there was nothing but God. And then God spoke and the whole universe came into being. That's fact. That's history. Liberals like to point out, well, how did Moses know how the world was created since there wasn't any body there to see how it was created? Well, that's what you tell the liberal. Why are you so sure about the Big Bang and all these other things when there was no human beings back there to see the creation of the universe? But there was somebody there, the one who created the universe. And he told Moses, in words and sentences we can understand, exactly how he did it. So we're not left to guesswork. We're not left to guesswork like the liberals and the evolutionists are. We have the very mouth of God himself. So here's the first sentence. What a sentence this is. We may not get past it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You notice that the Bible never tries to prove God. Doesn't try to prove God at all. Doesn't try to prove God exists. It presupposes everybody knows he exists. So the very first thing we're confronted with in Genesis is not the creation. That's not the big thing of the first chapter of Genesis. The first thing we're confronted with in Genesis is God himself, the creator. This chapter is about him and who he is. Now, when was the beginning? What does that mean? In the beginning of what? In the beginning of everything. In the beginning of the whole universe. In the beginning of everything that exists. Before the beginning, there was nothing but God. Nothing. It wasn't even nothing. There was just God. But in the beginning of the entire universe, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the heavens and the earth mean the universe because the Hebrews did not have a word for universe. Whenever they wanted to talk about a universe, they talked about the heavens and the earth. So this says, in the beginning of everything that exists, God created the universe. Now notice the name God here. Because it's the important thing. There's a lot of names for God in the Bible. Jehovah, El Shaddai, all kinds of names for God. This name for God is Elohim. E-L-H-O, I mean E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. And it means the mighty one. The one who has all power. Because he created the world out of nothing. This is the almighty God. He is an independent God. He's independent of the creation that he made. He didn't make the creation from himself. He made this creation from absolutely nothing. He didn't use anything. 
to make this creation. There was nothing but God. And suddenly and instantaneously, there was everything that existed. Because God willed for it to happen. And that, that creation that he brought into existence by his spoken word is totally dependent upon him for every second of its existence. If God should withdraw his sustaining hand from this universe, the complete universe would unravel. It does not have any power to continue for one second more. So much for evolution. So God is the all-powerful one who is independent of this creation. He doesn't stand in need of anything that he's made. There's an old Negro spiritual that I learned as a child, and I liked it. I mean, the tune was sweet and everything. The words weren't true, but uh, I, I liked the tune. It was called God's Trombones. And in it, it tells us why God created the universe. Because he was lonely. And he wanted a friend. I guarantee you God wasn't lonely. God does not stand in need of anything in this universe. He's Elohim. He's the independent God. He's the sovereign God. He didn't have to create the universe. He didn't have to create the earth the way he did. This is what he will to do. You remember the verse over there in Revelation? It says, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. There's no other reason. Why does everything exist like it is? God willed it. This is a sovereign God. And an almighty God. And he's a personal God. He's an infinite personal God. He's not some kind of force that pulled everything together. The God mentioned here in Genesis 1 speaks. Impersonal forces don't speak. Thinks. Plans. Asks questions. Those are all things a personal God does. Now his name. Whenever the Hebrews wanted to make a word plural, they wouldn't put an S on the end like we do. They would put an I-M at the end of the word. So you got one seraph, and you got two seraphim. You got one cherub, you got two cherubim. This name for God is in the plural. E-L-H-O-I-M. Elohim. So why in the world is the name for God a plural word in the first chapter of the Bible? Does Mo, did Moses, was he a polytheist? Did he believe that there's more than one God? No. So why did he call God by name that was plural? Elohim. 
Well, let me tell you what some people think, and they're dead wrong. Some people think that Elohim is plural because it's not talking just about God. It's talking about God and all of these majestic beings that he surrounded himself with uh, and sat in the assembly of these Elohim to seek counsel from them and to get their input in the making of his decisions. You'd be surprised how popular that view is. But you can refute that silly view with, with one passage of Scripture. That's Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him? There are no, There is no assembly of angelic, majestic beings that God seeks counsel from. That'd be such a pathetic God. I'll give you another reason why that's not true. You see the verb? <laughs> Elohim created. It's singular. It's a third person singular verb. Now, you know English as well as I do, probably better. And that is, if you've got a plural noun, it requires a plural verb. And if you've got a singular noun, it requires a singular verb. You don't do like we do in West Virginia with a plural noun and a singular verb. They is here. <laughs> you say they are here. But here in the first sentence of the Bible, it says, In the beginning God, plural, created third person singular. There's only one God. Whoever Elohim is, He's only one God who requires a third person singular verb. So what you have is a plural noun with a, a singular verb, a plurality of persons in the unity of the Godhead. Does that sound familiar? A plurality of persons in the unity of the Godhead. In fact, they're mentioned in the first two or three verses of the, of the Bible. In the beginning, God, the Father, spoke His creative word, and the Spirit hovered over the waters. God, creative word, hovering Spirit. Does that sound like a trinity to you? The Old Testament is not as clear as the New Testament is, but the God of the Old Testament is the Trinity. So that he can spoken, be spoken of with a plural noun and a singular verb. There's only Elohim is one God. There's no God beside Elohim. But within Elohim, there is God the Father, there is the Word, and there is the Spirit. So from the very start of the Bible, we see that the Trinity, the only God there is, 
created the heavens and the earth. Now let's look at the word created. Created means in Hebrew to create out of nothing and to use nothing in the creation of whatever you're creating. When theologians talk about this, they talk about creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. And then suddenly, by God's spoken word and the hovering spirit, a whole universe appeared. Nobody can do that except God. God's the only person that can create something out of nothing. And he didn't use anything to make it. Let me read to you. Uh, Hebrews. To show you how often this is brought up. Hebrews 11, 1, 2, and 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith. We understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. On one second, there was nothing but God. The next second, there was a full-blown universe. Now, the interesting thing is, Whenever you create something out of nothing, the only way you can do it is to create it with an appearance of age. Jesus, Cain of Galilee, turned several jugs of, wa of water into wine so that if you were there and you looked at those jars of good vintage wine... Somebody said to you, how old is that jug of wine? You'd say, well, they had to grow the grapes. They had to crush the grapes. They had to put the, the grapes and grape juice in containers to ferment it. They had to ferment it for a long time. Then they put it in barrels. It took about six years. Nope. One second. There was water in the jugs. The next second there was wine. There was nothing. And suddenly there was a whole universe that looked like it had been there for billions of years. The only way you can create something out of nothing is with the appearance of age. You know what that means? That means you cannot tell how old the universe is by looking at the universe. No. The biologist said, look at all the strata in the rocks. Look at all the various other geological issues. and It's obvious by the strata and the, and the geological issues that the earth's been around for billions of years. Wrong. A second after God called it into existence. It was created. October the, Sunday, October the 23rd, 
4,000 B.C. You think I'm joking? Try this out for size. We're going to be looking at the chapters in early part of Genesis and add up the geology, such and such a person was born, had children, died at such and such an age. And it's not difficult at all to see that the world was created on 4,000 B.C. And it's not hard to figure out that it was born, that it was created on Sunday, first day of the week. But how did Archbishop Usher, the great Irish Calvinist in the 1500s, how did he come up with October 23rd? Well, he not only was a great Bible scholar, he was a great astronomer. He loved studying uh, calendars. He lo loved studying the stars. And so as a Christian, he concluded by tracing back his calendars that the world was created in, 18 to, uh, in October 23rd. Now, I have no idea whether Archbishop Rusher is right on that or not. I mean, I, I think he's right on Sunday. I think he's right on 4,000 B.C. I just prefer to believe that God created it on October 23rd since that's my birthday. <laughs> so, in the beginning of everything there is, God, this one God in three persons, created out of absolutely nothing, suddenly. By the way, the only way you can create something out of nothing is suddenly. You, you, you can't gradually do it. You can't gradually call a universe into existence out of nothing. There wasn't any process. It just suddenly took place. And the earth looked like it was already billions of years old. So all of the geologist's calculations mean absolutely nothing. You can't tell how old the earth is by looking at the earth. Now, notice the word created occurs three times down through here. It occurs in verse 1, and then it occurs in verse 21. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm. And then the next time is 27. And God created man. So there's three times in Genesis 1 where God said he created something out of nothing. The universe Animals, man. That destroys evolution. There's no inanimate object that will ever uh, evolve into an animal. God created the universe and then he created the animals. And there's no animal that will ever evolve into a man. God created man, God created the animals, God created the universe, and there's no man that will give birth to a monkey.
I'm just taking seriously the words and the, and the meaning of the words in this chapter without trying to impose upon it what it doesn't say like the scientists try to do. Oh, and by the way, you know what else that means? Since God created the universe, and God created animals, and God created man, you are not a complex animal. You are not an animal. That's the point. Human beings are not highly evolved animals. They're not highly complex animals. They're not animals at all. They're men and women made in the image of God. God created the universe. God created animals. God created man. So don't let people convince you that uh, you descended from animals, which you did not. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, or some translations have became, formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Now let me tell you what some people believe. And they're always, always looking for ways to get out of believing the truth. They say in verse 1, between verse 1 and verse 2, there's a gap of billions of years. It's called the gap theory. And many leading fundamentalists and dispensationalists believe it. Verse 1 is talking about the original creation of the world. Verse 2, and the earth became formless and void. And verse 2 is talking about the earth millions of years after the original creation of the universe. And we know there's a gap there, even though we don't see it. We know there's a gap there because God would never create anything formless and void and dark. And besides that, it says in verse 2, and the earth became formless and void. It wasn't formless and void when God originally created it. It later became formless and void and dark because of something that happened. Because the original universe allegedly was perfect and bright and shiny. And then something happened during this pre-Adamic period when there were millions of people enjoying a perfect earth. But then something happened that messed up God's creation. You know what that was? Satan was kicked out of heaven and fell to earth. And when Satan was kicked out of heaven and fell to earth, the earth became formless and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. So that's how we know there's a gap of millions of years between verse 2 and verse 3. A lot of people believe it. Famous people that you know. Because it says clearly there, 
and the earth became something different than what it was when God made it. We have in your, you have in your Bible, and the earth was. There's no became in yours, right? The earth was from the very moment that God spoke it into existence, formless and void. Now, why do all of the English versions of the Bible for 500 years, why do they all translate was, the Hebrew word was, as was? Because that's what it means. It doesn't mean become. The word Hebrew word for was is used 1,500 times in the Old Testament. And it's always, except for 20 times, translated was. There's no became here. When those people tell you that the earth was perfect and Satan was cast out and fell upon earth, Lucifer, that the whole earth changed. Didn't happen. Not a word about it anywhere in the scriptures. Don't even give that theory a, uh, the time of day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. In other words, what it's telling us, that when God originally created the earth, it was fluid. Uh, it was one fluid, indefinable mass. Water, earth, everything was all mixed up. It was one great fluid mass. Now, why did God create it like that? So he could take six days to fill it with everything that the earth could not produce itself. To show you how good it is. He is. When God created the earth, it did not have any order it had no light, and it had no life. It was just one great big fluid mass. And in six days, Elohim created that into a earth full of light and order and life which the universe could not produce in and of itself. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the, of the waters like an old mother hen. You see a mother hen hovering over her chicks. That's the picture here of the holy, that's the words, uh, the picture words here in Hebrew. That the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters and is the instrument that God uses to bring light and life and order into an otherwise chaotic, fluid, indefinable mass. And so we come to the first day, and it says, Then Elohim said, Here's a God who speaks, the creator of the world speaks, he told Moses, spoke to Moses, and told him how he did it. God said, let there be light, and there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So the first day of this creation week, God differentiated between light and darkness and caused them both to exist simultaneously side by side. Let's see what happened on the second day. Verse 5, first of all. And God called the light day, and darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. So the first day of the week, God created light and darkness. Now let's talk about that word day. Everybody knows the word day in the first chapter of Genesis means long geological age of millions of years. That's what the evolutionists would love for it to say. Because they need time. Evolutionists need all the time they can possibly get in order for evolution to work. The problem is they don't have the time. The word day, which in Hebrew is Y-O-M, yom. The word day in Hebrew is defined the first time it's used. You don't have to read anything to it. Notice what it says. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and and there was morning one day. Is that the way we use the word day? The light portion is day. The dark portion is night. And the light portion and the dark portion together is called day. So one day is comprised of day and night. And whenever the word yom in the Bible is used with descriptive qualifying, limiting adjectives. It always means a literal day. First, second, third, morning, evening. Moses, whenever he would use numbers like that, he was speaking in literal terms. The word day, when used with adjectives like that, always means a literal day. And whenever the Hebrew word for day is used in the plural, it always means literal days. I'll show you how stupid things can get. Let's say that the word yom means long geological age of millions of years. And God created the heavens and the earth in six long geological ages of millions of years and rested on the seventh day of a long geological age of millions of years. And therefore, man is to work for six long geological ages of millions of years and then rest one day, the seventh day, a long geological age of millions of years. Makes no sense, right? <laughs> because, the, But it, it makes all the sense in the world when yom is day. Why don't they want it to be day? Because they can't squeeze their size 10 foot into this size 5 shoe. 
Then God said on the first day, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning one day. Second day. And you, you notice evening and morning. It doesn't say morning and evening. It's talking about the whole day. He worked all day till evening. And then the next morning. This is next day. Verse 6. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters, which were below the expanse from the waters, which were above the expanse, and it was so. Expanse, what does that mean? King James Version says firmament. That's hard to understand either. This is what it simply means. You had one big distinguishable, indistinguishable fluid mass. Light and darkness penetrated it by God's creation on the first day. Then on the second day, God separated the watery atmosphere from the waters on the earth. That's what it means. The expanse in heaven from the expanse on earth. The atmosphere full of water, clouds full of water, separated the water in the clouds and the atmosphere from the water that was on earth in the ocean and seas and rivers. God's bringing order into this world. Verse 8, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So now here you have on the third day, you have the separation, the dif differentiation between the oceans and the dry land. First day, light and darkness in this fluid mass. Second day, atmosphere differentiated from the waters on earth. Third day, dry earth appears on earth. And the oceans and the seas are distinguished from the dry land. Now look what's amazing about this dry land. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering of the waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth spr sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. So this earth, this dry land that God created was fertile. The first time dry land appeared on this planet. It was fertile and there was all kinds of vegetation. There were trees. There were apple trees with fruit on the apple trees and seeds in the fruit. So you take a time machine and you go back a third day and you look at that first apple tree. It's got apples in it and somebody says, how old is that apple tree? Well, 
I'd say it's about seven years old because it's old enough, mature enough to have fruit with seeds to fruit. Nope. One second. Old. Now you say, and I, I know I'm going to have to quit. And you say, Joe, we've gone pretty far in believing the Reformed faith. We didn't start believing the Reformed faith. We're a minority in believing the Reformed faith. But this is just more than I can take. I just can't go this far. A universe called out of nothing in 4,000 on a Sunday in 4,000 B.C. A fluid mass in one day by a spoken word as light and darkness. The second day by a spoken word, there's a whole atmosphere, clouds and everything. And there's oceans. Third day, God spoke and then suddenly, instantaneously, there were trees on this earth with fruit and seeds in them. That's just too much for me. I can't go that far. Well, it gets better even. But the point is, why would you think that? Why would you say that's just too much for me to believe? I'm going to follow science. Well, now let me ask you a question. What in the world does that sentence mean? When somebody says, I'm going to follow science, do they mean, I don't care what you have in the Bible, I'm going to believe Anthony Fauci, who is the fountainhead of science. Well, what is science? Science is based on the Latin word for knowledge. Where do you get knowledge? By the revelation of God. So, when you hear people say that this interpretation of Genesis is just more than I can take, I mean, not even a minority of people believe that on earth. The tiniest of minority believes things this radical. There's no way you can prove it. Other <laughs> than the voice of God. That's the point. There's no way I can prove this other than the voice of the Creator. So let God be true and every man a liar. And if you can't believe the Creator of the universe when He tells you how He did it, how can you call yourself a Christian? Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for telling us what a wonderful creator you are. We thank you for telling us about yourself.
telling us about this creation and how that you created it for your own glory and not simply for man. We thank you that this creation is a theater, theater of grace. It's center stage in the universe. That the most important things in the universe take place right here. Because this is the place where you gave your son for the salvation of man. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and confess our faith in this triune God by reciting together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He, by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of life, and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Last week in our little communion meditation, we talked about the relationship between communion and creation. Today I want to talk a little bit about the relationship of communion, creation, and the second coming. Jesus told his disciples, do this till I come. I want you to keep celebrating the Lord's Supper until I come back in all my glory for a second time at the end of history as you know it. Now, in the light of the things we looked at today, what's he coming back for? He's coming back to perfect this creation into what it originally was. After he organized it in six days, 24-hour days, after he organized it, after creating it out of nothing and organizing like he wanted in six days, it was perfect. And then, a few days later, sin comes in and scars it and defaces it. And briars and thorns and thistles start to grow on the land. Thorns and thistles are symbols of curse. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back to earth to perfect what sin has defaced in you and in this earth. So eventually the only things and people in the universe will be perfect things and perfect people in a perfect universe. Everybody else will be in hell. So when you take the Lord's Supper, remember you're to take this 
and give testimony to Jesus, the recreator of his universe. The Lord God Almighty in human flesh. Elohim in human flesh. Let us pray.